Welcome to The Scope with Dr. K. I'm Dr. Kaczynski. We're going to open the show today, as we always do, by stating that the goal of this show is to present you with a broad scope of value-based care issues, mainly involving the field of gastroenterology, but also outside of GI as well. Today, we are continuing our interviews from DDW, Digestive Disease Week 2023, which was held in Chicago in May. Our first podcast began with interviews with members of the incoming leadership team of the American Gastroenterological Association, including Barbara Jung, its new president, as well as those in line for the next three years, Drs. Maria Abreu and Larry Kim. We also interviewed Dr. Michael Coachman, who leads the new AGA Opportunity Fund, as well as representatives from the companies that have received investment from this fund. I'd encourage all of you to listen to that podcast, which you can access on your favorite podcast platform. This second podcast from DDW has a different focus. You are going to hear interviews from multiple GI practice leaders in three categories, hospital-owned practices, private equity-owned practices, and finally, independent GI practices. I think you're going to enjoy hearing their varied views on how they are dealing with the changes they are experiencing in healthcare today. Let's begin with the hospital-owned GI groups. I have two guests from this space, Dr. Rick Bone, who leads GI and Pop Health at Advocate Aurora Health, and Dr. Eugene Yen, who leads IBD at Northwestern. Let's begin. Rick Bone has been a colleague of mine for a long time. Rick represents a large hospital system, Advocate Aurora Health. He has a position uh, leading the GI functions there. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Larry. Why don't you tell everybody about your actual title, what your job is, and uh, help them get to know you. Sure. Thanks, Larry. Appreciate being here, and thanks for the invite. I lead the GI service line for Advocate Medical Group in Illinois, and I also lead for the medical group Population Health. The medical group has a large group of capitated patients, and I'm responsible for making sure that that all goes well. Okay, so you got bean counters there that probably drive you crazy. Tell us about your biggest challenges. What, what keeps you up at night? Advocate Aurora has made the decision to have employed physicians at all of the Advocate Hospitals. Aurora, Inclu including gastroenterologists? In gastroenterology, okay. in gastroenterology. They have that in Wisconsin, and when we merged, leadership decided to move forward with not only continuing the relationship with the aligned physician gastroenterologist, but to also have employed physicians. So I'd say my biggest challenge is recruiting GIs into hospitals that have not had employed GIs before. There's a shortage of GIs everywhere, so don't, don't take it personally that it's a challenge. You know, I, I don't, and and recruiting is difficult, and everybody is upping their game. Yeah, which is a challenge. It's a competitive environment. Very. But you can't really control those costs in GI without controlling the care that's provided, can you? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you need to make sure that people are getting the appropriate care at the appropriate place at the appropriate cost. Yeah. In working in an integrated delivery system, sometimes the hospital presidents don't like hearing that changing the site of service is a significant difference in cost for providing that care. So sometimes you run into a little bit of challenges as to where is the revenue going. 
in my situation in a capitated environment, I already have the revenue because I've been prepaid. Right, right. So it's trying to make sure that I'm spending the money to provide the care in the most cost efficient way. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. You know, we, we know that probably the best model is to have risk held at the at the level of the entity, but then incentives to be deployed at the level of the provider. And that science is obviously in your hands for GI and Advocate. So why are you here at DDW? I don't think you're still practicing, but why are you here at DDW? Well, it's a great place to recruit, if nothing ah. else. And ah. in about 45 minutes, the recruitment fair starts. Ah. So I'm definitely gonna spend some time there. But you know, I also lead the service. And while I don't practice clinically for the last two or three years, I wanna make sure that I am knowledgeable to support my practitioners to make sure that they have the latest and yep. the greatest equipment or access to whatever they need to make sure they provide the best care possible. And my final question would be, what can the AGA do to make your life a little easier? I think there's a lot of things the AGA can do. First, working with us in Washington to make sure that reimbursement is fair and appropriate. And, you know, interventional GI is the one area where I don't think there's been enough emphasis to make sure that the providers are being compensated fairly for the work they can do. And, and Larry, you and I both know, somebody doing a complex ERCP or some sort of third space type business could take as much time as somebody else doing three or four colonoscopies. You are right. But yet the revenue is not commensurate with that. So I think helping make sure that revenue is commensurate with the work effort put in is absolutely something that AGA can help with. That's an excellent point and it has nothing to do with the number of RVUs that they're generating during those procedures. It's actually the revenue that comes in. The revenue per RVU for interventional procedures is below what we do in the office. It, it's, it's not compensated well. Unfortunately, that's correct, but doing appropriate third space type work saves people from surgery, yep. saves people lives, and it's not being, you know, and I, my hat's off to all the interventionists who do it, and I respect them completely, but it's difficult recruiting, and it's that way everywhere. This isn't an Advocate Aurora issue, this is a national yeah, it issue definitely is. that the compensation is not fair. Thank you very much for taking a few minutes out of your busy schedule today, and I wish you luck at your, your, your job fair later on today, and um, thank you for being on the show. It's my pleasure, Larry. We're going to continue here, but we're going to go back to the hospital-based, this time an academic medical center environment. And I have Dr. Eugene Yen, who is the director of the Inflammatory Bowel Disease Center at Northwestern University here in Chicago. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Larry. Thank you for inviting me. Well, you're very welcome. And, you know, I'm interested to see your answers to a couple of my questions. But first, tell us about what you do at Northwestern. Tell us about what... Northwestern is doing with their GI department? 
Yeah, you know, so thanks, Larry. And uh, I, I, I started my career, as you know, in uh, 15 years in another employed setting. And so I'm used to the employed hospital setting of a, of a gastroenterologist. My expertise and my, my research was in inflammatory bowel conditions. And personally, it was a really nice opportunity for me to uh, further my academic career in inflammatory bowel disease. But given the experience I had from a clinical practice standpoint, an opportunity to expand IBD in a community setting, because that's what I did before, I think... Uh, Overall, I think Northwestern as a, as a whole is trying to expand its brand. And when we talk about that, it's not only just acquiring other facilities, but um, really truly expanding the level of care to what you would expect from a place like Northwestern, but in your backyard. So that raises challenges for uh, someone in an inflammatory bowel disease department because you have to make sure that no matter which hospital in the Northwestern system, a patient is seeking care for IBD they're getting the relatively the same level of care. That can't be easy. I think that's always hard. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, in, in my previous role in a community hospital, I was the IBD person and I, and I gave high level quality IBD care there. And so I knew that was possible. I, I think historically, most university systems were structured such that if you had a difficult case, you would send these cases downtown to the expert downtown. And I, I think my input uh, was, based on my experience, we could have high-level care everywhere so you didn't have to do that. And I think the reality of the situation is most of our patients don't want to come into the city anyway. They want, they want good, high-quality care in the suburbs and where they live. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. In, in fact, if they have to come in the city sometimes, they, they'll go without care before driving yeah. all the way down. Or, I, I, I totally yeah, or they may go for one visit and then not come back. Right. And, then, and then you need someone to at least accept the care who understands what the you know, what the plan is and is trying to, and, 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 and who can carry that out with the high, and at the highest level as well. I would imagine if we did a heat map of all the zip codes of the IBD patients that are going to Northwestern in one way or another, it broadly covers the entire Chicagoland metropolitan area. Yeah, we've done that already, actually. <laughs> we've looked at the heat map, and as you would imagine, and you, it's very astute because I'm sure you, you're used to seeing plenty of IBD where, you're, right. where you were. But when you look at the Northwestern heat map, you know, it's not concentrated downtown. It's, com- it's concentrated in the periphery. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a prime example that, you know, we could be very busy and see IBD in the, in the, sur- in the suburbs and high-level IBD and complicated IBD and, and sick IBD, you know. And so I think that, you know, that was my, that was certainly what I, my input in, in joining the program was to, you know, strengthen that level in the community. Because I, I think on top of that, there's always been this question of commitment if you only went you know, once a month to, for a few hours to see right. a few clinic right. patients, whereas, you know, folks like us are, 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 we live in the community, we're committed to that community, we want that community to have stronger level of care. And I, I think that, that that commitment's been, um, I've expressed that commitment because I, w- I want that high level of care in my backyard. My final question to you is we're sitting here uh, in the AGA booth, so what can a society like the AGA do to improve your practice life at Northwestern? Most of us use the AGA guidelines to help us uh, care. And when we're teaching our, our trainees, you know, the guidelines that are, that are posted on the, on, on the AGA website and the, and the guideline-based papers are extremely helpful, especially as our, as our landscape gets a lot busier and, and, and more crowded for, with the new therapeutics. But then also, not only that, just how to, how to follow patients long-term and those other questions that we often get if you, tra- if you treat uh, you know, chronic patients like those with IBD. I think other uh, components of the healthcare value chain also want and appreciate the guidelines, certainly the, the health plans do. So the AGA needs to continue with those. Anyway, thank you very much for being on the show and uh, enjoy the rest of the meeting. Thanks so much. Okay.
Let's move now to a new growing model for GI practice, the private equity owned entity. We are very fortunate to have the father of private equity owned GI practices, Dr. Jim Levitt. He started Gastro Health, the first private equity owned GI practice. Our last leader of a, an extremely large GI practice here is Dr. Jim Levitt. And Jim runs. Well, now I'm the director of clinical innovation. Oh, director of clinical innovation for Gastro Health. So, welcome to the show, Jim. Uh, we know each other really well, but and we've had you on the podcast before. So, some of the listeners probably know you, but I think the first thing you know, tell the listeners that are on the show today all about yourself and uh, about Gastro Health. In 30 seconds, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, we're uh, with a with a first GI group that partnered with a private equity firm, and we did that in 2016. And by 2017, we went from four, until now we went from 47 physicians to over 407 states. We're wow. on a single. You've grown since the last time. Yeah, and we're on a single IT platform, so we've aggregated all our data. We we've now unlocked all the notes. We've decrypted all the words and we can turn them all into structured data and so our next big move is we've hired a big data analytic and partnered with a big data analytic and data science firm and we're doing some really interesting stuff about data analytics so we're trying to go from sort of what happened why did it happen what will happen and then how can we make it happen by analyzing our data. So you're doing natural language processing and machine learning. We've done, exactly. Fantastic. You're the first one I've interviewed who's, eight who's million pa- said that. Eight million patients. So I think we have the largest search, completely searchable database with all this structured and unstructured data now structured in maybe the world. Eight million patients. Well, certainly the biggest in GI. I mean in GI. <laughs> in GI. Yeah, I mean yeah. in GI. Oh, that's fantastic, Jim. That, that's new. I mean, you didn't tell me about that last time. No, we were it's on new. The show, but that, that's that's great. You know, so gastro health continues to to mold and shape itself around what the industry needs. So I'm afraid to even ask you what your biggest challenges are. It sounds like you're already getting them under control. But tell me, what, what no, it's awake at night. You know, Larry, it's the same thing. It's the people. So what is what is leadership? It's 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 dealing with the people and creating the processes and it's creating the culture that's always our biggest challenge um, and it, and I think I we talked about that the last time I was on the podcast and it it's always going to be number one because it's creating the culture that's going to drive us forward yeah. in a in a in a unidirectional way yeah. I'll never forget your slide with the four skiers and and you know, I think you asked the question, you know, what's the difference, but can you tell the difference between these, these right. four guys? And, you know, culture's critical. It'll kill an organization yeah. if it's not right. So you're here at DDW. DDW, in part, is is managed by the AGA. What can these, what can our societies do for a practice like yours? Yeah, so I think that, I think the challenge for the societies is how do they approach these new, new giant practices that are private equity? And I think they need to have a different algorithm. And there's a lot of stuff. What, what do they need? They need an ability to say, hey, all these people are members. Right, right. right? And, and they're so, not. And they're not. And, and in return, what can we get back? What can we do to get that? So um, educational opportunities, leadership opportunities, training opportunities, 
all, all those types of things is sort of a give and get type of situation. And I think, you know, that, that's kind of where we are. Well, maybe it's time for the AGA Governing Board to uh, invite the heads of the nine families in uh, to discuss what, what should be done. Well, they should because other societies are doing uh, it right now. Uh, I, you know what? <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you as always. I always enjoy seeing you, and it's too bad that the people on the podcast can't see your new beard. It's great. <laughs> Thanks right. a lot. Thanks. Right. Bye. Our next guest comes from the independently owned private practice space. We will hear from Dr. Scott Ketover, who leads probably the largest privately owned GI practice in the country, Minnesota Gastroenterology. We're continuing in the large GI practice space, and I'm very fortunate to have on the show here Scott Ketover who runs, who is the president and CEO of Minnesota Gastroenterology. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today, Scott. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your practice. As you introduced me, I'm Scott Ketover. I'm a gastroenterologist. Uh, I've been with uh, Minji Digestive Health for 29 years. I'm lucky enough to serve as the president and CEO of the organization. We are now 101 gastroenterologists. Uh, We have nine clinical locations around the Twin Cities of Minneapolis and St. Paul. We are fiercely independent yes, uh, and, and plan to remain that way, but also um, enjoy sharing activities with our colleagues no matter what practice setting they're in. Not only are you fiercely independent, but you control your entire service area. There, are there many non-Minji gastroenterologists? There are. There are, actually, but, but most are in systems to one degree right. or another. Um, and they do good work, and we interface with them quite a lot. So I think in, in our, we, we might say our, our environment is a little bit unique in that we are a large group amongst many, many smaller entities, mostly employed, um, but uh, enjoy working together. Well, you've been very, very successful, but you must still have challenges. What are the, your biggest challenges today? Well, I think some of the challenges today are similar to what they've always been, and I, I think it's the payer community having for a long time discussed the need to either improve value or uh, bring better results to the community. However, I don't think most of the payers are organized around systems that will allow them to either recognize that value uh, and or uh, support it. And so I think our challenge is really in relationships with with those payers to get them to see the value added uh, as opposed to just uh, GI services being a commodity. We're sitting here in the AGA booth, and you've always been a member of the AGA, and um, what can the society do for a practice like yours? Well, I think the AGA, um, it would be interesting if the AGA wanted to do some outreach in terms of uh, communities to really let communities know what gastroenterology is. You know, uh, most people know what dermatology is, what urology is. When they, a lot of lay people, when they hear the word gastroenterology, they're not really sure what that means. You know, so we say stomach and intestines to most lay people, and then they understand. I think the AGA could provide maybe more of a, a global marketing approach to, um, you know, get to know your local GI doctor because your health depends on it. That's a great comment because it is true. I mean, if if you ever go to the heart ball for the American Heart Association. Everybody identifies what heart disease is, but we don't have a similar identification with digestive diseases, and that's an interesting comment. Thank you. Well, and I think about it in some of the statistics they showed here, you know, barely a month goes by where any adult 
can't raise their hand and say, I had some GI issued in the past right. 30 days, even if it was four hours long. I've seen databases, large databases, where 40% of the people in the database have some history of a GI ICD-10 code. So it, it's an omnipresent condition. Well, thank you very much, Scott. Enjoy the rest of the, the meeting. Thank you, Larry. Good to see you. Our final guest is Dr. Michael Weinstein, who leads what I consider to be a hybrid of private equity ownership and an independently owned private practice. He leads Capital Digestive Care in Washington, D.C. Okay, our next guest today is Dr. Michael Weinstein, who is the founder and CEO of Capital Digestive Care in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Larry. I love being here. Well, you know, we know each other very, very well, and I could probably tell the listeners about your your uh, titles and that, but I'd much rather it came from you. So tell the listeners about yourself. Okay. Th uh, thank you again for uh, having me on. So uh, Capital Digestive Care is a independent physician GI practice in Washington, D.C., but also now Maryland, D.C., and Virginia, as we've grown over the last couple of years. So I am now the CEO, but have obviously a board of managers and other physicians who uh, manage the practice. It's big. Yeah, but your, your practice is more than just a, a, a medical practice. You have this thing called an MSO, and there's ownership in that MSO from some big companies. Tell us yeah, about that. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Most people don't quite understand the model that Capital Digestive Care adopted uh, about four years ago. Uh, again, assessing the need for expertise, ass assessing the need that we needed to grow with changes that were happening in healthcare reimbursement, with changes with hospital systems that size matters. Uh, we've he heard that, right? It's, but it's not just size, it's uh, what you do with it. And the the need to get big required some consolidation. And that was hard to do as a big independent group needing additional expertise. We connected with Physicians Endoscopy. Barry Tanner, who at that time was president of Physician Endoscopy, he was experiencing the same sort of need in a lot of, a lot of other regions where Physician Endoscopy was located. And we collaborated on the notion that Capital Digestive Care, with a lot of experience in practice management could consolidate with a company that had a lot of expertise in ASC management and that together we could probably build a better back office. And that was the way that we established an MSO by spinning off our back office into a joint venture with Physician Endoscopy, whose initials unfortunately were PE. Right. <laughs> So everybody thought we had done a PE deal, which is true, but not true. Capital Digestive Care remains a completely independent medical practice with a vendor relationship with its own back office that is now jointly owned by not Physician Endoscopy anymore because Physician Endoscopy was acquired by SCA Optum. So now our partner in the, M in the MSO is SCA Optum, it has a board of managers, and that board is made up of three people from Capital Digestive Care and four people from SCA Optum, but with a lot of restrictive rights that require more than four people to vote approval. So Capital Digestive Care has a lot of control over the 
practice management company. And actually, as of today, there are actually only three people representing SCA Optum because they can't figure out that they even need a fourth person because there's really not any contentious voting of how the MSO should operate in that it's taking care of capital digestive care and uh, helping out other GI practices across the mid, you know, middle Atlantic and up into New England uh, using the same resources that we have. What are your biggest challenges today with this, this big practice you have and what keeps you up at night? You know, I think in our community is probably similar. You know, our biggest challenges are dealing with the payers and trying to get the payers to understand that as a big practice, we're willing to take risk. We're able to, we have the, the, the data, we have the providers, we have the quality, and we're willing to take risk. And, and unfortunately, I think for the most part, the payers in our community and probably elsewhere are still sort of stuck in that fee-for-service arrangement. It's hard to get them to understand that there are better ways to take care of patients than just worrying about how much you're paying for a colonoscopy or how much you're paying for an office visit. And there's a lot more involved in taking care of patients than just that. So that's probably one of the biggest challenges we have. The other is regulatory issues, rules issues, which is why Capital Digestive Care is involved with so many other big practices in advocacy. And then there are uh, things that we would like to do that we think are important for our practice, but they're important to every practice. So one of the other things you and I have in common is we're both on the AGA Governing Board, but your your term is ending now. As you go out the door, what do you think the AGA, AGA should be thinking about doing for GI practices? I think, you know, what AGA can do, for the same reason that we've we started a, a, an advocacy group that was focused on independent practice, because we're all doing the same thing. All these big groups are need the same thing. There are things that no matter how big the GI group gets, there are things that should be done across the nation, should be done universally. It doesn't make sense for a group, no matter how big they are, to build education programs for APPs when we all need education programs for APPs. There are things that we need to do as far as building fellows and diversity and things, we're all doing that. So I think the AGA has an opportunity to engage groups as groups, not as individual members. Correct. They need to engage groups yes. uh, and find out what groups need um, and, and try and provide that. It's, um, there are, yes, there's a lot of individual member and individual needs, but now we have something different. We have group needs, and that's where the AGA can fill that void, fill that gap. Well, we'll see if we can uh, impact that change. Thank you very much, Michael. You're welcome, Enjoy Larry. the rest of the, the meeting. All right. Thank you to all of our guests. And thank you to the audience for tuning in. You can learn more about the show on the program's page on Healthcare Now Radio. Listen to our podcasts on your favorite podcast platform. Lend your voice to the conversation on Twitter at HCNowRadio. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at SonarMD. We're bringing patients, providers, and payers together to reimagine GI care. Until next time, I'm Dr. K. Stay well.